listening to Sunday Sermons from Warren Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org. Turn with me this morning to the book of Romans as we continue our study through the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. I must confess to you this morning, um, I did not want to preach this sermon. I have to confess that. I'm telling you, I've really struggled um, with this sermon. Why is it such a struggle? Because this is one of those areas that I have struggled with as a believer, as a pastor, as a husband, um, as a follower of Christ. How to respond to our enemies. You know, I was raised to, you know, if a bully or somebody uh, messes with you, the best thing to do is just rear back and punch them right in the nose. I still think there's a time for that, amen? <clears throat> but if you walk for G- with Jesus Christ and you commit your life to him, you are going to have times in your life where you're going to have enemies. Whether it is intentional or whether it is a part of the grand conspiracy of our enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil that we war with constantly. But we've got to learn to respond. I often think about what Jesus Christ has done and how he responded. In fact, let me tell you just a little story before we read the passage. Do any of you ever heard of a man by the name of John Perkins? John Perkins was an African-American from Mississippi who dropped out of school in the third grade, but who went on to become an international well-known pastor and founder of Voice of Calvary Ministries. He later on received an honorary doctorate, served on a presidential commission for President Ronald Reagan, and has received national recognition for his leadership in race relations, but his expertise in ministry and race relations was acquired in the hardest of ways. For instance, he was once arrested and brutally beaten for hours there in Brandon, Mississippi. He had gone to the jail and all he had, all he had done was to go there to post bail for a group of black, black college students who had also been arrested after participating in a civil rights march. And of course, this was all back in the 60s. John Perkins had done nothing wrong except the fact that he was a black leader in Mississippi at the height of the civil rights movement, and he was there to post bail. With the aid of two doctors, John Perkins was 
slowly able to regain his physical health. After the beating and the mutilation at the hands of those who beat him and literally beat him almost to death. And over the months that it took to heal emotionally, this is what he said, God gave me a new vision for ministry. He wrote a book and listened to a passage out of his book. The Spirit of God worked on me as I lay in my bed. An image formed in my mind. It was the image of a cross. The cross of Jesus Christ. This Jesus knew what I had suffered, and he understood. He cared, for he had gone through it all himself. He, too, was arrested and falsely accused. He, too, had an unjust trial. He, too, had been beaten. Then he was nailed to a cross and killed like a common criminal. But when he looked at the mob who had crucified him, he did not hate them. He loved them, and he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. His enemies hated him, but he forgave. And God would not let me escape that picture. He showed me that however unjustly I had been treated, in my bitterness and my hatred, I was just as sinful as those who had beaten me. And I needed forgiveness for my bitterness. Now, in my opinion, John Perkins is a man who embodies the principles of this passage that we're going to read here today. Chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. Listen to these words. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Underline this, bold print it. If it is possible... As much as depends on who? You. Live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head do not overcome do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good I don't want to preach this sermon I didn't want to preach it I've wrestled with it all week and in fact I've been wrestling with it for over a month knowing that this was coming up because I have to confess this is an area where I've really struggled I was raised, you know, to be independent, to be strong, and, and on top of that, to be a man. For a man to back down from an enemy? 
You have to give up your man card if you do that. You don't back down, you don't back up, and you don't shut up. You buck up. And you guys raised that way? But when I read this story about John Perkins, I'm sure that he was probably raised that way to be a man. The idea of what the world thinks of as a man, not in the watered-down things that we hear about men today. But men have always uh, had these character traits of, of being strong and, and being able to, to take the fight to the enemy. And there's no doubt that there are times for that. But in John Perkins' book, when he wrote about himself being falsely accused and beaten almost to death, he said that as he, as he lay there, not knowing whether he was alive or dreaming or, or what, he said this vision of the cross came to him, and he could not get away from it. And how that Christ had set the example, and he started... John Perkins started a whole new ministry of reaching out to people with love and compassion to, yes, even those that were his enemies. I'm not there yet. I have to admit, I really struggle. I've had those who have falsely accused me of things. I've had those who have lied I've had those who have done everything that they could to destroy uh, anything and everything. And I know that you have too. I'm not alone. And my, my nature is to fight back. But then I realize that then I become what they are when I do that. So there's that struggle that I have. What, how can we do this? And listen, the only, the only reason I can preach this sermon today is because it's God's word. It's not my opinion, and it certainly has not been my experience. But it's God's word, and if I am a, a man who is seeking to walk with God, and I believe that his word is truth, then I have to bow to the authority of God's word. There is no option there. So let's look at some of these things. The first thing, verse 17, what are we supposed to do? We are to avoid retaliation. What does he say? Repay no one evil for evil. The foremost trait of, a hum of human nature is self-defense. I mean, think about this. If I was to take my phone out of my pocket and just throw it at Matthew there, what would be his natural reaction? He would dodge or he'd throw up his hands. It's just a natural reaction. Self-defense. It's the foremost trait of human nature. Have you ever played this game, you know, with your kids or they do it with you? You know, you slap right in front of their eye and say, I made you blink. You ever done that? It's a natural reaction for us, self-defense. I think God put that in us. But there's a time and place and a way to do that. 
Jesus redefined the Old Testament standard of an eye for an eye when he said to turn the other cheek in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. Lord, are you sure about that? I don't hear him saying that that needs to be changed. Now, the slap on the one side of the cheek, is that literal? Someone slaps you literally on the cheek, should you turn the other? I'm sure that that's a part of this, but it's more than that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 15 says, See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good uh, both for yourselves and for all. Would it make you better if you, if you uh, retaliated and, and uh, didn't turn your cheek but slapped back? It might make you feel good for a little while, but what have you done? You've just basically lowered yourself to their standards instead of what God says. Jesus uh, gives us a standard for personal ethics that's foreign to the world's way of thinking. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 15, we read, and then 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, it says this, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. How can we do this? We're called to this. God's word says we're to do it. So avoid retaliation. Second thing, always respect what is right. The latter part of verse 17 says, do good things in the sight of all men. Now notice he didn't just say good, do good things in the sight of the men that, that uh, like you. But he said to do it in the sight of all people. Paul is saying that we should live out our Christian lives not only before God, but before everyone in our community, our neighborhood, and so on. I mean, you think about this consistent theme uh, throughout the, the New Testament with the Apostle Paul. He wrote to the Corinthians and he said this in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 21, taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2, he says, uh, commending themselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So we have to live consciously that people are watching us everywhere that we go, whether they're a believer or not a believer. In fact, the scripture tells us that we're to do good to all men, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So we have to live consciously for that. The next thing is we need to aim for reconciliation in verse 18. Notice what it says. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. We are to aim for reconciliation. Now, notice what he said. Two major phrases there. If it is possible, and then the next phrase is the one that really stabs you in the heart. What does it say? As much as depends on you. So who has the responsibility 
to be able to live at peace with people? Is it, is it, do I have to hold up a standard and say, okay, I'll, I'll live in peace with you as long as you don't hurt me again. I'll live in peace with you as long as, as long as you're not my enemy anymore. It's up to your action whether I want to live in peace with you or not. No, the Bible says it's up to me. As if it is possible, as much as is in you, we have a personal responsibility to do that. There's a limitation of the problem. Notice what he says, if it is possible. In other words, and we have to admit here that sometimes peace is not possible. You may offer the olive branch of peace and you may live out that, that statement that it is your responsibility to, to seek and to go after peace, but that does not mean that the other person is going to respond in like manner. You cannot force someone else to stop doing anything against you. You can't do that. You can only do what your responsibility is. In other words, sometimes peace is not possible. And just because you want peace and reconciliation doesn't mean that the other person is going to go along with that. In Luke chapter 12, verses 51 through 53, we see that Jesus said we would pay a high price for our faith in him. He says, do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather, he says, division. For from now on, five and one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Looks like Jesus was looking at some of our houses, wasn't he? So he warns us that there are going to be times that peace is just not possible. You have to let go of that and as much as is possible within you to extend that and not repay evil for evil. There's a limitation of the problem. And it's found there that there's going to be divisions. And what is that division about? What Jesus is talking about here. It's the message of the gospel. The gospel brings peace to the heart that's troubled, but that heart must respond in faith and receive the gospel message or their, their heart will become hardened and hardened. And I've seen it happen many, many times, not only in my family, but families for the 40-something years I've been in ministry, that sometimes when, when someone gets saved in a family, it causes all types of problems and division. But as much as is possible, notice what Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9 says. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Peacemakers. And then look with me in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. What does it say? We are to pursue peace. With whom? With all people. And holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. So we have the limit, uh, limitation of the problem. Then we have the limitation of the person. Sometimes the situation presents limitations and sometimes the limitations are personal. And what do I mean by that? Paul just simply says to live peaceably as much as it depends on you. The responsibility 
falls upon us as individuals. We, not, we may not be able to achieve peace because we don't have the right skills to be able to do that. Have you ever, have you ever uh, have somebody in your family or ever worked with somebody that they have no tact at all whatsoever? They just say stuff and it just rolls right out of their mouth. And they never are able to understand how hurtful that can be without considering how they're saying it. You know, you can say the, you can say the same thing, but say it in a different way, and it can be received a whole lot better. So wives, instead of calling your husbands an idiot, even though he may be acting like one, just say to them, sweetheart, I'm praying for you. That's what my wife does to me. And I learned a long time ago that when that girl starts praying, the best thing for me, especially if she's praying for me, the best thing I need to do is repent. I fear that girl's prayers, I guarantee you. I'm thankful for them. But the limitation of the person Maybe you don't have the right skills. Maybe you don't have the, a, a knowledge or understanding about this. Maybe you don't have the maturity level as well. In such a case, I think God will direct us and use us and let us know what to do if we will seek him. Then we need to allow for God's response in verse 19. What is God's response? What, is he, what does God do? He says, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. God says... I got you. I got your back. You live out the principles of my word, and I'll take care. Many of you know, and many of you don't know, that when we first started Warren Community Church, uh, God was blessing. We, were, we had moved into this facility. And uh, at that time, I, uh, one morning, I received a... Um, an anonymous letter, 13 pages, an anonymous letter. And when I began to read the letter, my heart was breaking. But inside I was screaming. I can't wait to find out who this is so I can deal with them. I never did really pursue that because it was um, really not worth the effort. Because I realized that no matter what I did, there are some people who are just not going to be satisfied. They don't have the, the maturity level to be so. And so I put that, and by the way, when I retire, and I don't know exactly when that's going to be, so don't push me. When I retire, I'm going to write a book. And that book is going to be called Letters to the Pastor. I have a file, and it's locked away. And it is so full 
of letters. Now, not all of them were bad. Some of them were wonderful. I mean, just so encouraging. But there are many in there that are raking me, as they say, over the coals. Now, I'm not going to, to write that book simply because I want to get revenge. I'm going to preface the book by saying this. It is those types of letters that have literally God has used to change my heart about certain things. You know, God has to break us sometimes before he can ever make us into what he wants us to be. My problem through the years has been I didn't want to be broken. I was sitting in a deacon's meeting and we were dealing with a tremendous, horrible situation. I could not even tell you what the situation is this morning because we're in mixed company. The, the air and, the, and the, the attitude there in that room was so tense. Literally, you could slice it with a knife. People had talked, people had argued, people had screamed, and people had... And so I said, we've got to stop. And we're just going to get on our face before God and pray and repent and so we prayed and as we were finishing up the prayer there was dead silence kind of like it is in here this morning you could hear people's hearts beating and the the secretary of the deacons who were, was taking notes. He said, Brother Ken. I said, yes. He looked at me and he said, do you realize that your name spells broken? B-R-O-K-E-N. And I said, you know, I never thought about that before. But that's exactly what I need to be. I need to be broken. We were able not to resolve every issue in that meeting. But the church was able to move beyond it. And I'm thankful for the leadership of those men that day who helped us get through that. But you've got to realize to allow for God's response and that can come through a secretary of the deacons who says did you know your name spells broken and that was a word from God for me that that's exactly what you need to be and that's exactly what all of us need to be is that sometimes in our lives we have got to be broken I remember one night in my life where I ran out of my house 
screaming at God because of a situation in my life. And literally, I don't know why God didn't strike me dead. Honestly. And when I tell you what I did, you'll wonder why he didn't too. I ran out of my house screaming. I had just read a passage of scripture. I'd been praying all night long, literally. And God spoke to me in this passage of scripture. And it says, no good thing will he withhold from him who walks uprightly before me. Now, there are two truths in that verse. God says he will not withhold any good thing. But the caveat is for those who will walk uprightly before him. And I realized that God would keep up his end of the bargain if I would keep up mine. And so my responsibility was to walk uprightly before God and to allow him to work in and through the situation to be able to give glory to himself and to bring me to the point to where he needed me to be. And as I ran out of my house that night, I remember raising my fist at God. Now you see why, uh, I wonder why he didn't strike me dead. I raised my fist at God and I said, God, I'm not going to leave this spot until I hear from you. And I don't know if it was like the experience that, that the Apostle Paul had or D.L. Moody or some other of the great men of the faith through the years, but that night I woke up the next morning with dew all over me. I'd been in the yard all night long, and I had been praying and seeking God, and God woke me up there with the dew all in my face and with clover all in my ears, and God says, today you will move forward and trust me. And from that day forward... Limping along, that's what we did. Allow for God's response. And as I look back at those years, as I look back at those times, I think, as I was right in the midst of it, how will I ever get through this? But as I look back, I see where God had his hand. And as I walked under his hand, he guided me. Allow for God to do his response. Vengeance is mine, he says, I will repay. I received a phone call in my office one morning. I answered the phone, which is not usual. Usually somebody else answers it before it gets to me. But for some reason, I think it was one of those divine moments that no one answered the phone. And I irritatingly reached over and answered the phone. And I said, you know how you change, you know? Warren Community Church, Brother Ken, how can I help you? I hear this, I hear this screaming and wailing. And I can tell it's a, it's a, it's a lady. She's, she is literally wailing, crying. And I'm thinking, my gosh, who's dead? Something's horrible's happened. Who is this? What's going on? I try to see if there's a name on the, on the ID thing. No name. 
So I'm answering, and finally, guess who it was? I won't tell you the name, but it was the author of that 13-page letter. Six years past the time that she had authored it, she was calling, asking for forgiveness. She said God had been tearing her heart out. I wanted to rip her heart out personally. If I'd known it was her, I probably would have. But I had to let go of that. And God did what only he could do. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. She talked about how she couldn't sleep. She couldn't read her Bible. She was doubting her salvation. And she had to repent. Give God time to work in your situation. It is just as dark. Listen, this is something I learned a long time. It is just as dark out in front of God as it is behind him. You know where the light is? Walking with him. Now, I've not done that perfectly, and I'm not claiming that to be. I'm just sharing with you today from my heart the struggles that I've had with this particular issue in this passage of Scripture. Allow for God's response. Activate the principles of replacement. What are the principles of replacement? What is he saying here? What are these principles? He talks about, notice what he says in verse 20. Therefore, if your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. What he's saying is do the opposite of what your enemy is doing to you. It's the principle of opposition, doing, doing something opposite. Don't return evil for evil, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, slander for slander. This phrase has always bothered me, and I've studied it a lot. And I found something this week that I thought was interesting. This phrase where it says that it will heap coals of fire on his head. That comes from a quote from Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 22. And here's what I found. That scholars believe that this probably refers to an ancient Egyptian custom. Now here's what would, would happen. Here's what this custom was. Where a person publicly would demonstrate contrition and repentance for doing something wrong, and they would do that by carrying on their head a pan of burning coals to represent the burning pain of their shame and their guilt. And the point of the illustration is that when we love our enemy... We become the burning pan of coals of fire on their head. Our love and our good works toward our enemy is a painful reminder to him of his evil deeds and hopefully will shame that individual into wanting to correct their ways. People know how to argue and argue back, but people don't know how to respond to love and forgiveness. When we take vengeance in our own hands, we become the one who suffers. And then we need to accept the responsibility of recovery. 
Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How shall we recover? By overcoming evil with good. When David was anointed to become the new king of Israel, you remember that? In fact, he was anointed three times. I heard a great sermon preached one time on that, uh, the, the three anointings of David. Fresh oil was what it was called. Oil, the anointing of oil is represented in the Old Testament of the Holy Spirit of God coming upon an individual. But David, when he was anointed to become the new king of Israel, the existing king, King Saul, set out to kill him. And Saul was jealous of David and resentful that he had been anointed to be king. And ever since David won the acclaim of all of Israel for killing Goliath and many thousands of Philistines, Saul had resented him and he ultimately vowed to take David's life. And once when David and his men, they were hiding in a cave, they were running away from Saul. Saul entered the cave, not knowing that David and all of his men were hiding inside that cave. And when they saw that Saul had come into the, gate, into the cave, David's men urged David to go and kill him and take his life. But David said, no, God says to touch not thine anointed. I know David in his heart thought I could kill him right now and this would be over. I could become king and I could avenge everything that he's ever done and said about me. I could, I could do all these other things that he's taken away from me. I could get them back. But he says, no, I'm going to do it God's way. That had to be a struggle. But what David did is he slipped upon Saul and he cut off a piece of, David, uh, of Saul's cloak. And when Saul goes out and goes back to his men, his army, and they're, they're screaming at David, David stands up and he holds up that piece of cloak, of that coat, and he holds it up and Saul realizes that he could have killed him. But he chose not to. And Saul didn't know how to respond. In fact, it softened his heart. And literally, he stopped his pursuit of David for a while. Did David do the right thing? Yes. Was it easy? No. But did God take care of David? Say it. Yes. And he'll do the same for you and me. Lord, I pray that you will help us. These principles are not just ink on paper. They are truth. As hard of truth as they are, they, it is your truth. And Lord, as we walk in the light of your truth, you promised, Lord, to bless our obedience. And it's when we refuse to walk in the light of your truth that we put ourselves out from under the umbrella of blessing from you.
And we receive and we reap what we sow. So Lord, I pray that today that you would help us. And Lord, I pray personally that you would continue to work and move in my heart and life in this area, Lord, that you know that I've struggled with my entire life as a believer. Thank you for those times when I've seen you prove yourself and times over and over again that you are faithful and that you will take care of your children. So, Lord, I pray today that you would help us to walk in that obedience. And here today, Lord, maybe there's some who are walking in, that, in disobedience today, whether it be in this area or some other area. And they haven't reached that point yet of being broken. But today, Lord, your Holy Spirit is breaking their heart. And they need to right now release that to you. And Lord, let you not only break them, but to remake them. And I pray, Lord, that you're working in their hearts today and that right now they would make that decision to do so. But Lord, I pray for those that are here today that do not know you as their Lord and Savior. These words don't mean much and they don't seem to be logical. They don't make much sense. But they do to us who are believers because it's your word written to your children. But maybe there's someone here who doesn't know you, but yet in their heart, they know the struggle of the evil and the thoughts and the things that they have. And today, right now, Lord, they know that they need you as their Savior because you're the only one that can change a person's heart. So right now, would they open their heart and repent and say yes to you? Lord, we trust you for that and pray this is your invitation. It's your time where you're dealing with our hearts individually. May your Holy Spirit have complete control and reign. And may we just have the good sense to be obedient to what you tell us to do. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing this closing song. Thank you for listening to Sunday Sermons. If you want to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org.